Hey guys, welcome to our 50th episode. Yes, we made it. We made it. We've made it. 50 episodes, 3 years. That's not too shabby. No, it's really not. Especially since we missed out on a, pretty much a whole half a year. Yeah. Yeah, and, uh, you know, releasing bi-weekly, that's pretty good. Yeah, you know, for our Patreon patrons, you guys really helped chain, uh, get us to this point, uh... We'd be about ten episodes behind this if yeah. not for you guys. Yeah, you guys really you. sped sped the plow, and you know we just want to start off by saying we are so grateful for our listenership. You guys have been wonderful. It's great that we're heard. Um, we get pretty consistent hit counts, which makes me happy. Yeah. And guys, we're looking forward to the next fifty episodes. This would be a good time to do a clip show. We're not going to do that. No. I'm not sorting through 50 episodes worth. <laughs> yeah. See, okay, maybe clip shows are easier, are like, you know, easy for TV shows and such. When you're like us, they're actually the hardest things in the world to put together. Yes. Oh, God, yes. We don't have the time for that. And also, clip shows are also a thing of evil, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean... It Unless you're like, I'm not going to say Simpsons because they are kind of the worst about clip shows, but unless you're like Clerks where you uh, have your second episode be a clip show. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, Clerks was satirizing the trend. Right, exactly. Friends was notorious late in its run for doing episodes that were just excuse to reminisce. Ugh, God. Yeah. No. On the other hand, I, you know, I can think of a number of shows that have done fake clip shows, but we're not going to do that. We're not going to bore you. So, yeah, I, I do. I will take this moment to say that technically we have about 76 episodes. Yeah. But like, and actually a little bit more because that's not including the Patreon specials. Mm -hmm. Uh, but you know, those are all just, like, fringes and, you know, unnumbered, basically. And minisodes. And... So, yeah, we've done a lot. Yeah, these are... This is this is the 50, 50th just true straight-out episode. And, again, we've, we've had a lot of fun and we've gone in a lot of directions with this. We've got a lot still to come. Um... Believe me, there may be a period next year where we're going to have a lot of episodes in the bank because I've got things to do in June, after all. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, um, yes. The odds that you'll get more episodes on new movies, uh, like full-on episodes, are pretty high, actually. Yeah. I mean, that may be something we do. Uh, but, you know, we've come to this point. And so, as we're recording this episode... We are hit with uh, a situation that is more than a little frustrating. Uh, have you seen what the movie that No Totally uh, did this week is? Oh no, I haven't. Mm -hmm. Let me let me pull that up just so I can have the same reaction. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> let me stress: we did not we did not plan this. We we've had this episode chosen for a very long time so sean we're not trying to rip y'all off 
<laughs> but but here's the thing. I'm so sorry, dude. This is a movie that was going to be our 50th episode. No two ways about it. Oh, absolutely. This was pretty much all... The movie that we're doing today is one that was pretty much always going to be the choice. Just as our 100th movie is pretty much also going to be the same situation. This was one that was just... It was hardwired in. It was one that we wanted to do. And it's one that we couldn't get around doing. So guys, without further ado, let's talk about what our what today's movie is. Yes, our our surprise special movie today is the Back to the Future trilogy. Yeah. Okay. So so let's face it, you've heard a lot of discussion on this one this year. Yeah, for good reason. We know y'all have. One of the things that I really want to talk about today is why. Why has this series held up, and why is it so strong and so great? So. Don't 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 be turning us off because just because of, uh, some other people have heard it. We've got a ton to say and we've got a ton of new insights to say. So we can't we can't wait to to get to this guys because we've got a lot to say and do. Back to the Future. I've been uh, a fan of this movie, these movies since I was a kid, like as as far back as I can remember. I have loved these movies. Like, they are ingrained into me, into my being. I was born the year after it came out. And I the year before. I especially love the sequels. Like, the second one in particular is my favorite. October 21st of this year is a day I have been counting towards since at least 20 years ago. The future. The future. And it's really surreal that that day has finally come and passed. Mm-hmm. Always be like, I'm, I'll be 29. It's like, well, yeah, now I am 29. Shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> yeah. Yeah, it's been a day. It's been, of course, you know, culture has been counting to it for years. Um, mm-hmm. Witness the countless people posting on Facebook that this was the day. Yes. At least since 2012 or 2013, with altered screenshots saying, Hey, today's the day that Marty and Doc went back in time. Always, 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 I would get pissed off at those and Mm -hmm. post a thing that said, No, no, it's in 2015. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, 2015 came and we are now as far removed from the first movie as the uh, first movie was removed from the uh, time that it jumped back to. Yeah. Isn't that surreal? 1985 is as far removed from us as 1955 was to them. That's That's just a strange thought. It is. It's also a strange thought that we are farther away from our birth dates than the moon landing was to our birth dates. Yeah. I know, that's a really strange thought. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. By a good distance, too. Mm-hmm. Like, at least... At least twice. At least twice removed, yeah. 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 And all of this is actually very relevant to the film, because it's really fundamentally what the first film uh, is about. Is about the distance that between... Uh, yeah, where we are, where we're going... As Doc says, the perils and the promise. <laughs> it's it's a very existential film. Um, you know, I'd, 
I have probably more to say about the first one than I do the other two, just because yeah. I thought on the first one more. It's, it's the the first one is the quote unquote classic, but it is a unique trilogy in the way that the sequels all refuse to repeat the first movie. Yeah, while at the same time doing just that. Yeah. They do, but they don't. It's a strange... Right, but they don't. There's just... There's just so much surreality about the films. I mean... And that's also one of the themes of the film. You know, sometimes history repeats itself. Mm-hmm. The patterns. The... the, the yeah. The, the rhythms, the flow of history. I mean, that's something that, yeah, the film really does stop and think about. I love that essentially, if you think about it, you know, for as much time distance as they cover throughout the trilogy, they all, they always stay in the same place. Yeah. It's always in Hill Valley. Which is something that fascinates me, because I'm someone who does a lot of study of that. Um, I, you know, I run a history of uh, movie theaters in Arkansas, and one of the things I'm fascinated by is what's there now in the place of these things. I actually just a few moments ago posted a photo of a... Uh, drive-in theater that's now a xerox building wow and it's just like yeah that's this isn't an improvement and that's something that i think about is you know do things always change do they change for the better and that's something that the series definitely does think about um one of the one of the parallels of my own life speaking of you know movie theaters Defunct movie theaters turning into other things is that okay? The theater that I saw Toy Story two in is I I'm not sure what it is now if it's anything, uh, but it was in like a small building that shortly thereafter turned into a 24 hour fitness. Yeah, that's become a big thing for a lot of those theaters. That's uh, what one of the theaters in Conway is. Yeah, and I can't help but parallel that that to the movie theater in the film, which turns into, it winds up turning into a church, actually. Yeah, which is, which by the way, is proof that Zemeckis and Gale did their research. That was a, that's a very common fate for movie theaters. Um, Really? There's at least uh, one in Little Rock that was a church briefly, and there's at least one that's now an uh, Islamic community center. Wow. It makes a lot of sense. It's it's an auditorium, after all. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, that's that's a common thing. These are movies that are very well-researched. They're, they're very well thought out. Oh, yeah, they're so well thought out that if you... At some point, like, if you own the DVD and or Blu-rays of the movie, and you've listened to the commentaries or watched any of the special features, you know they have Q&As on there where people ask about the various plot holes in the movie, and they have an explanation ready for it. Which is funny because uh, Zemeckis and Gale openly admit that when the first one ended, they had no idea where it was going to go. Yeah. They didn't even think they would have a sequel. No. It was just, it was a, it was a joke. Yeah, it was, it was just a, hey, this is a fun idea. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, the, the studios wanted sequels. It was one of those things. The studio said, look, you can either make a sequel, or we'll make it without you. We've got the rights. 
Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Zemeckis, after all, went on to, uh, after the first one, um, I was, was, was Who Framed Roger Rabbit the only movie he did between them? Yeah, that's, I always consider Who Framed Roger Rabbit as, you know, as established, uh, on episode seven. Hey, look, we're tying into the rest of the cast. We're gonna do that at least a few more times today. But yeah, as established, uh, uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit is one of our favorite films. Oh yeah, it's amazing. And it has been since childhood. Oh yeah. I look at it as the movie that the Back to the Future gang, um, the whole, the whole crew, well, the, the essential crew, uh, made between Back to the Future's one and two. That's a, that's a hell of a, uh, it's a hell of a gap film, uh, but this is true. It is, uh, yeah. I mean, we almost have to rewind, though. For, I mean, we're going to be discussing these movies. We have to rewind to the first movie, uh, which the first movie pretty much proves that everything can go wrong on your film and still wind up with a classic. I mean, people don't understand this. This is why I get so aggravated when people point out troubled productions as, oh, well, it's going to be a bad movie. I mean, sure, it... I haven't seen the new Fantastic Four, but I would be shocked to find out if it was any good. Hey, there's another tie. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> but I mean, this one, but I mean, of course, history actually shows that time and time again, Titanic was a disastrous production. Uh, the Godfather was a nightmare to be on the set of. Jaws was a, a debacle, to be blunt. People think that, oh, when you hear about a troubled production and they hear about extensive reshoots, that, oh, it's the movie's bad. No, what, what extensive reshoots mean is the studio sees something good in it, but they want to give it the chance to be, to be good. Uh, if it's really bad, they pump money into it. Now, a key sign is when the director gets replaced. Let's face it, that's a bad sign. And that happens on a lot of those reshoots. But if you hear about a, a lot of reshoots where the director is involved and is actually doing the direction, that's a sign that actually the movie is pretty good and they, and they just see the potential to make it great. Um, right. And let's face it, reshoots are a pretty common thing. Yeah, Mar the Marvel films all have days of reshoots built into them you're going to go in and discover i mean i'm currently doing revisions of uh, my book uh, and i'm having to revise it completely line for line word for word but that's not because it's bad it's because it's almost good and i want to make it great so i mean that happens so let's let's kind of clear out some of the obvious familiar stories um about the first movie because everybody knows about the fact that this that they had to recast Eric Stoltz as Marty. Yeah, and by extension, they also had to recast um, Jennifer. Yeah, who uh, the actress that played that part uh, went on to be a big part of the Office, actually. So, oh nice the one that the one that uh, was originally cast. Oh nice. Yeah, but yeah, um, uh, well, it's tough to say. Um, I actually, I have mentioned this recently, 
I can't stop reeling about it. I'm sorry. Um, oh, that's fine. I I actually did see at the Kinsey Film Fest earlier this year. Uh, I got to meet Bob Gale, and uh, he signed my Blu-ray, and uh, he did a little Q and A. I mean, it's not really info that's new too much, but it was just kind of funny uh, hearing a version of it that's not for cameras. Because, you know, he he was really open about the fact that uh, he really did not like Eric Stoltz's acting style. Yeah, he played it too serious from what I understand. He, he was a method actor, basically. This isn't a method film. No, it is not, no. And they, yeah, and, and he talked about the fact that, hey, they... Um, they had shot a good two weeks, which is a good portion of the film. N maybe not half, but almost. Probably a third. Probably a third, yeah. And they were, and one day in dailies or in editing, uh, they looked and realized, hey, something here is not working. This is not funny. This should be funny. I mean... All the stuff with Doc Brown is working, but I think Eric Stoltz is not working out. Yeah. It was a tricky situation that they were in. Um, but let's be, let's be clear, though, about one thing. Stoltz was not their original choice for Marty. He was not who Zemeckis and Gale wanted from the start. From the start, the actor they actually wanted was, well, Michael J. Fox. Oh, yeah, and he was involved in a little show... A little very popular show called Family Ties, mm -hmm. which he could not get out from under the contract. Like that, they went to the producer of Family Ties. They brought the script to him, and he didn't even bring it to Michael J. Fox. Mm -hmm. he, and he was upfront with them about that. He said, "Look, I'm not going to give this to him because I know he will say yes." Yeah, because it's phenomenal script yes and i'm not sure he can handle the you know <laughs> he's going to be exhausted yeah but yeah this the second time they came to him they worked out a deal it's like okay if he is willing to shoot your film at night's and our TV show dates and basically get no sleep, then, yeah, you can have them. And, well, it all worked out, to say the least. Um, because, let's be blunt, the film doesn't work without Fox at the core of it. I mean, without him at the core, as just this believable, likable, empathetic hero, the movie doesn't work. Right. I mean... It's it's a nice idea that, okay, you know, they could have maybe found someone else, but Stoltz certainly did not has not proven with time to be that actor. He's not an actor who's ever done likable. He does reasonably well. Yeah, I mean, if you've seen him in, I think his, pro his most prominent performance is in Pulp Fiction. Yeah. yeah and, yeah, he... He does play it, the serious guy there, but he can because he, he is the uptight, 
you know, uh, drug dealer. <laughs> yeah, it's it, this. This was a bad casting choice. Uh, what's funny is that Stoltz was the problematic one on the set. Meanwhile, this is a movie with Crispin Glover in the cast. Yeah. Seriously, though, if you haven't listened to the commentaries on the Back to the Future films, they are gold. Uh, they they tell all about like they. These guys strike me as ones that aren't afraid to piss people off by talking about them. Well, Zemeckis is a legend at this point. He's got nothing to lose. Yeah. Oh, no, absolutely. But, yeah, listen to the commentaries on those films. Listen to them talk about Crispin Glover uh, and what he, this kind of shit he pulled on set. Well, Crispin really is good in this movie. In and uh, it's too bad that... Uh, he had such strange ideas and attitudes about uh, how an actor should behave. Look. Yeah, he wasn't exactly well-liked. Uh, there's a reason he's not back in the second movie. Oh, they offered it to him, but he wanted way too much mm -hmm. for what he was worth. So they just... they Didn't he want more than Fox? I think so. Yeah. I think he did, yeah. For a minor character. So they wrote him out of it. In fact, they killed him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, they they did. Um, it it's funny that because I I'm not a, I'm not a Glover fan. I know there are people that absolutely absolutely worship Glover. I'm not a fan. I've always found him irritating. Oh God, watch his. It's on YouTube. It's freely available on YouTube. Watch his appearance on the David Lehrman show. Yeah. Yeah, he never got a chance to redeem himself. Um, I think he was... I think he actually did come on later on uh, Letterman and did kind of get that chance. But, I mean, it did go a little better, but... He's... Glover is someone who is all too proud of himself, and he he's too weird for weird's sake. I, I'm not a big fan of him. He's fine in this movie... But it's not... It's an awkward part. Um, yeah, It's an awkward part, and let's face it, it's him. Of course, he's just one of the cast. I mean, God, it's, it's a really stellar cast if you go back and look at it. Um, mm -hmm. Obviously, we have to hit on Christopher Lloyd. I mean, because... Mm. So I sigh because this makes me realize that we, can, that we have indeed referenced Lloyd on... Two other casts, one of which was a happy cast, one of which was so not. Yeah, he was he was in Oogie Loves. Why? Why? Just why. Our first lost tapes. In fact, our first lost tapes in the progenitor for the cast. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Lloyd though, this is this is his iconic part, and yeah, he's great on it. Yeah. He's just great in it. Yeah, and as aforementioned a few episodes ago, this is a part that he loves doing. Yeah. Anytime that anybody has needed Doc Brown to do anything, he's there. Yeah. And, and why wouldn't he? This is a wonderful part, and it's it's a fun one. And we, be we believe that Marty would hang around this guy, even though it's been pointed out, you don't really ever get that much of an in-universe explanation. Yeah. Oh no, I love that. I believe that these guys hung out. I, I didn't ever question it. I, I always kind of 
I mean, who in our who didn't have the weird guy in the neighborhood that uh, they liked? I, I think we all have someone in our lives like that that we've known. Yeah, exactly. And I kind of hate using the term headcanon because, you know, yeah. people who have headcanons, like, usually defend it um, to the death. And it's like, dude, it's just your theory. Mm-hmm. You're, it's it's not that, you know, I mean, it's great that you have that, but it's just your theory. I have a headcanon for how they met. How? Okay, it's not much, but it's some like it's not exciting or much but it's something basically maybe there's like a legend like there was yeah yeah there is like a legend about this old man who uh, is crazy and does all this weird stuff and you know who was the son of a famous uh, rich person so of course marty being the thrill-seeking kid he is uh goes to check it out and well they hit it off i don't see any reason that that's not probably pretty close to the truth i mean Mm -hmm. that's i mean that's the connection that these guys seem to have and it's 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 a nice believable friendship it's it's good and goofy and it'll be interesting to read the idw comic to see what they come up with for that yeah because I, I know I think they are going to touch on that touch on it. I we'll see. Um, I I would like to read it. Um, yeah, I mean this is just we just we we buy it. We believe it. It's a connection that works. Um, you've also, yeah, it's a dynamic. You know, you you've also of course got. Um, we talked about Glover. We have to talk about the mom. And can I just pause to point out that it's kind of funny to look back in retrospect and see how not very good the age makeup is in this in the first movie i mean can we be perfectly yeah. honest and say that if while we're going to praise a lot of things about this movie the age makeup is pretty terrible yeah in its defense uh at least for the first part of the movie where everything's a mess like before the time travel uh, at least for that, she's supposed to be like a tired, yeah. you know, mother of three who's, you know, whose kids' lives aren't really panning out and her life isn't really panning out and she kind of has regrets about who she married. Yeah, even in the later scenes when you see the characters later on in life, they still don't look... Okay, Thomas Wilson actually does look not too far off, actually. Right. But, I mean, the the big point that I'm making is it's kind of amazing how little Leah Thompson actually looks like she was projected to look in this movie. For, e- yeah, even in, even in their uh, uh, more well-off state, yeah. Yeah, she, she, she's aged quite well. Um, and... I'm just going to say, between this and Howard the Duck and, well, pretty much everything I've always seen her in, the fact that her career didn't go better is always going to be one of the great bafflements to me. Mm-hmm. I, I said it when we discussed oh, yeah. Howard, and I'm going to say it again. This is a woman who really probably could have had a better career. It's a damn shame she didn't, but um, she's she's great here. Uh 
you know, she's great here. Uh, Thomas Wilson as Biff is great. Um, Wilson's an actor who's mostly known for this series, and I again, that's another case where I think that's a shame. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's he's still doing stuff. He does a lot of voice work. Yeah. Uh, if you look on the credits of SpongeBob, he's all over that. He is. He is, which can't 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 argue that. Yeah, I think the first time I actually saw him in something after Back to the Future was at the halfway point 15 years ago in uh, Freezing Geeks. That's what I knew you were going to say because that's what everybody remembers him from. Because he starts off in a part that you think is going to be like Biff, but right. it's really not. Yeah, I mean, of course character he has flaws but he's he's not a bad guy like he's and i guess in real life uh tom wilson is a notorious nice guy yeah uh, he's an actual former bullying victim who channeled that into this part um yeah he yeah he he's really good in this movie he's really very likable and uh or or he's very like i'm sorry he's really good <laughs> on freaks and freaks geeks, and geeks. Yeah, because he plays a gym teacher who isn't the stereotypical gym teacher, who's actually a really caring, nice guy, and who actually, in all fairness, resembles much more the gym teachers that I knew throughout my uh, childhood than the stereotypes of the movies. I mean, yeah. <sighs> me, me, same with the exception of one. On the other hand, in this in Back to the Future, he's the stereotyped bully, and he makes the character stand out even among the cliches. He makes a very specific bully. Yeah, like even I love the juxtaposition of, you know, when he's first introduced, he is doing the routine on George as an adult. Yeah. And, like, it's a 40-something adult, as his boss, which is really pathetic. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is, that's a sad scene to watch. It is. Now, now, Biff, now, I never noticed that, uh, the car had any blind spot before when I would drive it. But what are you, blind, McFly? It's there. How else do you explain that wreck out there? Now, Biff, um, can I, can I assume... That your uh, insurance is going to pay for the damage? My insurance? It's your car. Your insurance should pay for it. I, I want to know who's going to pay for this. I spilled beer all over when that car smashed into me. Who's going to pay my cleaning bill? Well, no. It is clearly Biff's fault. And he finds all these ways to blame it on, uh, like, you didn't tell me your car had a blind spot. All cars have fucking blind spots. What? Yeah. He's awful. And, and, and he reflects a real truth about how people like that are in the real world. Um, yeah, and nothing is their fault. Um, they justify everything they do as somebody else's fault. Like, every everything bad in the world is somebody else's fault. Biff is a classic adult bully. And he's, again, he's really in the... In, in the 1950s scenes, he's really eerily convincing. Uh, and uh, also a funny, unique character. I mean, that's the thing. A lot of this movie is familiar tropes we've seen before. 
it's i mean it's funny okay and this is i i really view this movie as very nominally a science fiction movie it's really a human comedy and which of course baffled the studio executives because they tried to change everything about it because they could not grasp that audiences would just accept that this was really fundamentally a human conceit you know that it was a movie about that was fundamentally a movie about how we interact with people, how we view uh, our families. Um, yeah, the whole the whole premise of the first film is, what if you could see your parents when they were your age? Mm -hmm. Like, what you know, for all for all the talk of, oh, I didn't do that when I was you know your age. It's like seeing the truth. Yeah, it's like no, they did exactly that when they were your age. <laughs> destroying the destroying the mythology that family set up and i'm gonna say right now that's the reason that i think this movie stands out above so many other time travel films that have gone in one direction or the other that's the reason that this series holds up that's the reason that this series still feels relevant is because it's really fundamentally using it as an excuse to deal with these very human concepts. They're timeless ideas. Yeah. And, uh, you know, gotta say again, thank God for Steven Spielberg. He is the saving grace of the of the production for the first film. Yeah. Because at that point in time, Spielberg had, uh, he was wielding... A, as much power as anybody has ever wielded in the studio system. And he just basically stood in and at every possible moment that Universal tried to screw with them, he was like, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to let this happen. Yeah. And, oh, he's a clever bastard too. Like he, the way he works around those tough situations is extremely clever and... Like, for instance, you know, a great example is, you know, the famous kid from Pluto. Spaceman exactly from Pluto. Spaceman from Pluto, yeah, incident, where the producer wanted to make the movie all about that and change the name. And they went to Spielberg and said, help us. And he's like, I'm on it. And he wrote, he wrote a, uh, a memo to the studio head that said, <laughs> "We we all loved your your joke memo, and of course, how are you going to say that you were serious about that, yeah. <laughs> Steven Spielberg?" Yeah, I mean, again, <laughs> just so we're all clear about what was just uh, behind Spielberg at this point, he had the first two Indiana Jones movies. He had Gremlins, which he just produced. This was the same time as The Goonies. This was a good time for Spielberg, and of course this film was a monster hit. Yeah. And again, tying back to just this last cast, you know, he's the one that got the PG-13 ring through. Because I think, I think how it goes, we kind of missed this part last week, but I think how goes was that he uh he wanted temple of doom to be pg not r because mm -hmm. he he's the one who pressured them into saying um 
you can't you can't have an R-rated Indiana Jones film. Yeah. Why are you crazy? And this has to be PG. And then it was put out, and there was a lot of. Yeah, I think I think now it has been re-rated to PG thirteen. It is, yes. Yeah, but uh, yeah, they put it out with a PG, and there was pandemonium. As I mean, with the first movie, it really is kind of hard to think about. Okay, what do you you know? What do you say about this movie that hasn't been said? Uh, I do think I will say, I, as much as I love this film, I definitely agree with people that this film definitely has some problematic elements. And there are elements that I don't think we should overlook. If I were Zemeckis, in retrospect, I wouldn't have done the uh, Chuck Berry scene. I wouldn't have gone anywhere near that. Yeah, he does talk about that. Um, the f they were accused of... You know, of course, you know, his defense is, of course, you know, they didn't mean it like that, which... I'm, and I'm sure they that. didn't. Yeah, but... It's, oh, so white people are responsible for rock and roll, not black people. Shit. Yeah. <laughs> That's not good. It didn't come out well. No, no. It didn't. Um... Even for that aspect, uh, it, that's still an iconic scene. It's still an iconic scene. It's just one where it's like, maybe it's Jerry Lee Lewis's cousin? Right, right, right. You, know, you, exactly. you could have done this. You could have done this some other ways. I, I, I don't know. But that's just me. That's just me, nitpicking. I also don't know that the film's gender politics are. I don't know if they're as good or bad as they could be. I think it's. I think it's a mix. I mean, I think in some retrospects the film is part good and part bad. Um, in all fairness, it does take place in the 50s. Yeah, that's kind of the big issue here, is that trying to say how good or bad it is. I like that Lorraine is depicted as a, a woman with a sex drive and with inde an independent streak and with strength. She is well handled. Uh, but, but, then the, but then there are also parts of the ending that are a little icky. I feel like the movie is far too dependent upon George finding some way to step in and save the day. I think it would have been an interesting touch to maybe reverse the dynamic, and that's why they fall in love. Right. But again, the, the problem is we're viewing this from a perspective of 2015. 30 years ago, we weren't quite as enlightened, and we sure as hell weren't that enlightened 60 years ago. Right, exactly. So, I don't know. It is a weird balance that they have to strike. And I don't know if they strike it always all that well. Right. Before we leave the first one, let me just repeat kind of an interesting experience that I had watching the first one. Real quick, because uh, I know you saw it at Film Fest. I saw it actually in a more conventional theatrical setting. Uh, they showed it at, at uh, the Rave a few years ago, and I went to see it then. So I watched it very much in a... Okay, obviously it was an audience where a lot of us had seen it before. But I watched it with a number of people who hadn't. And there were uh, a couple of teenagers behind me. 
that sat down to watch it, and they laughed pretty hard during it. Oh yeah, there were kids in the audience of mine, and that just, that warmed my heart. Yeah. Not only that, but ki some kids who had seen it before, it's like, yes. Yeah. The film plays very well uh, 30 years later, is my point. It plays very, very well 30 years later. Again, it's the timelessness of it. It's a timeless message. The humor is timeless. The characters are strong. The first one deserves, to, you know, as I said, I have a few minor nitpicks. The first one deserves its status in the canon. And what's what's really great is that, um, and and weird is the fact that they grounded it in a certain time and place helps only helps with the timelessness. I think so too. Yeah. Like nineteen a specific date in nineteen eighty five and that that's just like, yeah, this is nineteen eighty five, this is the eighties, this is what it was. It's the same thing that Clueless had, which is if you make your movie very specific to when it's set, that's weirdly enough going to make it more timeless than if you try to pretend that it's could play to any time period and it's not. Go on ahead and say, okay, this is very specifically this moment in time, and we'll adjust mentally to the fact that that's when it is. Yeah, and they even, uh, I think they even went out of their way to pick things from the culture that's that kind of represent the time, like, you know, having Huey Lewis do the soundtrack. Oh, it's very, very of that moment but it is the things that people do genuinely remember mm-hmm it is yeah that's oh those are still great songs too oh yeah it's a, oh, it's a tremendous soundtrack yeah uh, yeah Huey uh Huey Lewis notoriously um loved the fact that he was you know doing music for a film and they only requested one song from him they got two Two songs that are now iconic, so... Yeah. And, of course, he's in the film. Mm hmm And his cameo is hysterical. Um, oh, it is. Because he's just sitting there glaring at his own work. This movie deserves the look back that it's gotten this year, but it also had two other films. So, let's hit on those. Um, though, again, I don't really have as much to say about the sequels. I will say this. The first sequel is the most audacious sequel until the one the next year, uh, when Gremlins 2 hit. But it is, it is kind of a bold move that they take on this one. Because they don't just repeat the plot. Like, I think the idea they had was, you know, what if we went back to the events of the first film and had that plot be in jeopardy from this other plot? Mm-hmm. Which is brilliant. And uh, the thing I love about the second one, and they will, they will cite it as the weakest of the three... Uh, structurally, which I can't argue. I can't argue either. 
because uh, yeah, it is all over the place. But I think it is brilliantly uh, at that. I think it is kind of brilliantly structured because it's it's a lot going on. Uh, like the first, yeah, th is three distinct acts. The first act is, of course, the future, twenty fifteen, mm -hmm. and I'm sorry. Even though it's already passed, I will always refer to 2015 as the future. Mm -hmm. Here's what I love about their vision of the future, which is that if you look at it, they didn't intend this as a plausible future, even remotely. No. The, I mean, they did do some research as to, you know, what we would have. Like, of course, of course everybody's going to have a widescreen television. Mm -hmm. There's no... They were right yeah. about that. Well, I mean, that was just simple. You could look at what at what the trends were. Right, right, right. And, um, but yeah, no, they went, they kind of went for it. Smart move that they had uh, depicting USA Today is still around in uh, 2015, <laughs> which it is. Texaco less so, but... Texaco much less so. But that's okay. And, of course, Pepsi was a really safe uh, bet. Oh yeah, yeah. You oh, didn't, yeah. you didn't, you didn't get any points by predicting that Pepsi was still going to be around. Uh, but yeah, it it, it is. It's it, but it's such a deliberately silly future that I mean the styles, the fashions. Yeah, uh, which are all all distinctly they all scream eighties future. But yeah. It's it's a silly future, and I'm really... People who are trying too hard to try and take it seriously... Like, I'll be honest. I don't think they believed for a second hoverboards were going to be real. They just thought it'd be a cool chase. Admittedly, they weren't far off on one thing. Uh, 3D movies are a thing. Oh, yeah, they are. They're a big thing. Yeah, they're the closest that we will ever get to holograms. Yeah. Like, I mean, mass... I mean, holograms exist. They are a thing that you can do. Yeah, but not like movies. Not like in the movies. No, no not like in... On the other hand, you and I, the last movie we saw, another callback, was a 3D movie, after all. Um, yeah, it was, it was Peanuts. Yeah, Peanuts look wonderful in 3D, by the way. Uh, Speaking of uh, things that will never age... Yeah, oh yeah, Peanuts is timeless. Uh... I such love, such love. But again, I can look at these things and I, I I can see what they intended us to take seriously and what they didn't. The idea of self-lacing shoes, come on. So that's why I found articles that tried to point out the differences between the two futures kind of silly. All the same, they're ignoring the idea that, you know, hey, there's a small po uh, device that's thinner than a deck of cards uh, that's going to fit in your pocket, that can do everything you ask it to do. Yeah, I mean, we are we are talking on a couple of those right now. Yeah, imagine if they had put the idea of smartphones in the movie. It would have looked, it would have looked too comical. So, okay, all you people who are saying today's future sucks next to that one, guys, please look at your phones and take, and be grateful. You're right, okay, you've got the future act. Take some stock. Oh, I know. Take some stock that you can watch the movie on those little things that fit in your pocket. But again, 
You've got the future. Yeah, yeah. You've got the alternate 1985, which is an interesting concept. I love the fact that they did it, that they just went for that. I don't think we get that enough in movies. No. Yeah, it's the dystopian what-if. What if Biff becomes rich and just owns everything? I also, I also love that even at as far-reaching and comical as they get, it, this movie still only has one villain. This mm-hmm. set of movies. Yeah. And it's Biff. Yeah. I love that they didn't stray from that. No. And, and I mean, it's just a fun idea that he puts forward. The idea of, okay, what if? I mean... The, the idea of, okay, what if the heroes hadn't succeeded? To me, that's much more interesting than a lot of these sequels that we get, which is, what if the heroes have to go back through the same stuff? Exactly. And they have fun with that. Yeah. And they do have to go through the same stuff, but not, at the same time, not. Or no, the first one puts forward, okay, we have to get your parents together so you would... So you will still exist. And this one is... Well, this thing has already happened, so we have to change it back to the way it was so that everything else can still exist the way it is. While at the same time... Wow, this is making it sound really complicated, which it is. It is is a convoluted film, let's (laughs) face it. Yeah. Yeah, which, while at the same time, not interfering with the thing we did, the last film. It's, It's crazy. But I love it. I love every second it, of that film. The, the the second film is a blast, and it, it, it as I said, I'm not again. I'm not bothered by any of these films still being brought up. The second film is a great example of okay, when your back is against the wall and you don't know what you you're going to do for the second film. Don't just repeat the, the what you've already done. Going in the weirdest, wildest directions you can is actually a brilliant decision, and it really does work. For those who are curious, the newspaper on uh, October twenty second, twenty fifteen, yeah, it included <laughs> it included it included uh, the uh, fictional uh, yeah included the fictional USA Today uh, yeah the uh, the the non the non-Marty and Doc version. Where, yeah. Uh, yeah. Which, God, I, I, seriously, I went around to like 12 places on that day trying to look for that damn paper, and I never found it. It's great. I, I was able to read it. it. It's really cool. And, what, I don't know, what do you say? I just, ugh, so, so much love for this uh, film. As I said, Cheers to Zemeckis and Gale for not being bored. Um, but of course, there was a there was a, another clause in things, which was that they had to do a trilogy. Like my understanding is, the sequel option required a third film. They shot them together. Now I want to point out this doesn't usually happen that the second and third films are so distinct. What you usually get is a second film and a third film that are pretty much a two-part film. Pirates of the Caribbean had a two-parter. They did. Uh, Matrix also did. Matrix also did. I like the Pirates of the Caribbean sequels. At least the first two. I didn't see the fourth one. 
So, you know... I didn't. Yeah. I, I, I didn't. I just didn't care. But I do give them credit. I, I at least liked the uh, the second and third. Oh, they were... F they were fun. The third one got... The, fir the third one got convoluted as all shit, but I think that was part of the fun of that one. Yeah, I I'm sorry. I'm just really kind of tired of that, of, the, of that one getting the garbage it gets. Um, it it's fun. I It's fun. I, uh, but with this one, they had, they had to do something completely new. It's like, okay, we've gone into the future. We've gone into the past. Let's go into the real past. Yeah. And they wind up in 1885. I, I do want to take a moment to chart the uh, the wild character swings of uh, of Biff. Um, because in the altered timeline, the quote-unquote altered timeline, like not the... Not the extreme 1985, but the um, uh, the one they altered in the first film. Biff goes from... Do you realize what would happen if I handed my reports in your handwriting? To... Just finishing up the second coat now. Now, Biff, don't con me. I'm, I'm sorry, Mr. McFly. I, I meant I was just starting on the second coat. Like, really submissive and afraid of George, basically. Mm -hmm. And that's that's kind of an interesting shift. And the fact that you look at him in the next film in 2015, he is a bitter, bitter old man. Mm -hmm. You're old man, Mr. Loser. That's right. Loser with a capital L. You know, because of the fact that he was... Um, he's still the same character. Like, he hasn't really learned anything. Yeah. Yeah, but he's just bitter that, well, you know, he used to be uh, free to do whatever, and then he was suppressed. Biff is pretty plausible. Yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of a nice, it's, a, it's very subtle, interesting what this character goes through. It is interesting, and it's well executed, and I just... Oh yeah, Tom Wilson is brilliant. I do credit a fair a fair bit of that to him. He's he's one he really is wonderful in these films. Um, the third film, on the other hand, really goes in a very different direction from any of the films. Um, if yeah, if you uh, and I did see the second and third films back to back um, on October twenty first when they played it, and. Yeah, when you go from the second film to the third film, it is almost whiplash. Yeah, they're very different films from movies that were shot back to back. Yeah, I mean, the first one is just bam, 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 bam. The third one uh, is like four times slower paced. Mm -hmm. But that fits, it's a western. Yeah. I mean, not in a bad way. I mean, it's it's still fun to watch. It's it's an entertaining film. I mean, the goal is the same as in the all of the other films, but it's it's a fun one. And once more, the goal is to get back to the correct timeline and to get everything in order. Yeah, at this time with with eighteen hundreds technology, which is fun. <laughs> oh, yeah. 
It it winds up in a very cool uh, time machine. Yeah. And, oh, that's the other thing I love that we haven't touched on is I love the fact that the um, uh, the DeLorean itself is different for each film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In fact, I think a, po- a poster series exists on that fact. Yeah. It's, it, it's very cool the way they handle the time machines. Uh, but yeah, in the third one, you have... Just, it's, it's a neat book. Um, and it, w- one of the things I like is that, okay, it's not exactly a plausible 19 or 1800s, but it's m- more like they go back to the movie 1800s right exactly like as it exists in the movie universe it, it's 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 very much a love letter to uh, old westerns yeah and having him call himself clint eastwood is a testament to that mm-hmm. it's a blight it's a blatant yeah this is what we're going for but it's all obvious that zemeckis and gale really loved those films and it shows. It's it's fun. I mean, that's just all that there is to it. Is it's fun to watch the, uh, this take. Uh, one of the best things about this film is that uh, they take an interesting step uh, giving Doc a romance. Mm-hmm. Which is yeah. Something, which is something that you really, if you think about it, you don't see in a lot of franchises. Uh, traditionally, the way they work around the main character needing a romance is to uh you know swap out the love interest in every film and this one they actually let marty take a step back and uh let doc have uh, a romance with uh i mean marty already has one he's had one from the beginning yeah yeah his love life actually really never factors that deep into the films yeah he has a girlfriend. She stays the same the whole series. It's established eventually they wind up having a family. Even though they replace the actor for the second film. Yes, they did. It's 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 plausible. I mean, it, it's kind of nice that that happens. That it's like, okay, this just is. Um, and then they step back and uh, they give Doc uh, just a really sweet romance with uh, Mary Steenburgen, who... Um, gotta give shout outs to uh, a native of uh, the area she's a Pulaski County native nice I think they're around the same age too yeah and that's something else that's really nice seeing people who aren't young people having a romance in a movie I mean not that Steenburgen was particularly old at that time but you know she she was established. Uh, she was uh, already an Oscar winner. Yeah, around that, that's about the time that uh, the movie Parenthood came out. And, yeah. Oh, which uh, she's Yeah, she so was in that. Well, she's so good in that. That's one, by the way, that we really need to look at getting we scheduled do. at some point. Because I really love that movie. But yeah, I mean, they have really... You know, and Steve Virgin and Lloyd have really wonderful chemistry, which really helps sell their story it's just it's just nice to see this in this film and i cherished their moments yeah they are they have good chemistry it does have a bit of a surreal question about okay why does marty's paternal grandfather uh why does his paternal grandmother 
look like his um, mother. Right. As if there weren't enough jokes about that in the, uh, from people. Yeah. Well, you're my... You're my... My... Who are you? By the way, just just to go back to the first way, the way that Marty reacts to his mother as a young woman... You're my mom. You're my mom. My name is Lorraine. Lorraine Bates? Yeah. But you're... Uh, you're so... Uh, you're so... Thin. I am amazed that was something that got into a family film. Because this movie was marketed towards families. Let's be clear. This movie was marketed hard towards families in the 1980s. Yeah, no, they when they were shopping this around, uh, they sh they tried to shop it to Disney. Disney said it was too dirty. Mm -hmm. And when they tried to shop it to, I think it was Fox? Fox said it was too tame. I think it's the perfect mix. I think it hits it is, yeah. just the right for you. Well, obviously it was. The film has lasted this long. But, I, yeah, I, I'm just kind of amazed that that made it into a timeless family classic. But it does work. And by the way, this, is, this whole series is PG-rated, we should point out. This whole series... Aren't the... Yeah, they're all PG. They all should be PG. Because, I mean, because they are... Because they are very light. The third film works. It's a satisfying ending to the trilogy. And I don't... I didn't ever feel like we needed anything more. Yeah, I think that's about right. <laughs> I will admit, it is my least favorite of the three. But that's not saying much. I do love the film. It's still a good movie. Yeah, it's still a great movie. And it is, again, of the sequels, it is, you know, the more well-structured. You know, I love that they changed it up with ZZ Top. Mm-hmm. <laughs> ZZ Top makes an appearance, and they play their song, their hard rock song, at a party in the 1800s. Honestly, ZZ Top sounds like the kind of music that you would have heard in that era, truthfully. Yeah. It wasn't that yeah. weird. I, 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 I had no qualms. Uh, it's great. I loved the the Michael J. Fox ancestor. That was a great character. And it occurred to me, watching on the big screen, you never ever in that entire film think about the fact that Michael J. Fox is playing both parts. And the fact that they are on screen together frequently. You never, ever think of that as a special effect because it's so seamless. That's something that really more people need to think about when they're doing dual roles is make us believe that these are two separate characters. Yeah. Um, and again, we're going back. Uh, Adaptation is one that did that very well. Yeah. And I, I think it ultimately comes down to, do you have an actor that's good enough to differentiate the parts? Fox is a fine actor. He uh, he does a great job with it. And, yeah, I've just got... Yeah. Seriously, these three movies do. They deserve everything. 
They deserve everything that people give them. They're they're just good films. Um, One thing I did want to bring up before we leave about like the design of the third car is um, I love the joke presented that uh, they have to replace uh, a tiny microchip with fifty parts, and it's just this huge. This huge hulking wooden box on the front of the car. <laughs> I love that they did that because that really does sum up things. By the way, can I, yeah, it, they just it sums up where technology went. Zemeckis and Gale, they saw where it was going. They they knew. It is it is a charming film, and plus, let's face it, this is the movie that really kind of got steampunk in the mainstream. This is the movie that I think a lot of people... This is their first introduction to steampunk, if we're honest. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. Uh, because of what Doc uh, what Doc does with uh, the technology. You know, he uses what he knows of modern technology via, of course, uh, 1980s, uh, and applies it to 18... 1880s uh yeah you just look around his lab and there you go yeah it, it's it's really i think i it's really i think the first time that you saw that that retro futurism uh in movies uh you know that that kind of whole look and it it's cool it's very effective um, of course the costumes are great i mean it's a great looking movie it's it's a bright clear movie and it's just a fun movie oh it is yeah i also love the um the running joke of oh yeah it's it's clayton ravine it's like huh it's called shonash ravine now i wonder why yeah mary steenburgen's character was supposed to die in the canyon because she fell off then the future they have this nice little joke where okay you see the train go down in the canyon and, you know, blow up. And, of course, when you get to the future, it is now Eastwood Ravine. <laughs> That's nice. It That's is. a nice it subtle. Is. And it's also a throwback to the uh, uh, mall. The, oh, yeah, yeah, the Twin Pines Mall. As as a, as a, I never thought about it about uh, that aspect of it but yeah you're right yeah there's a lot of parallelism throughout the entire trilogy there is yeah i mean it's all the stuff they talk about you know majorly changing the future by what you what you do in the past it's also like just the little tiny tiny changes too it's it's fascinating yeah twin pines mall and lone pine mall it's just a, it's a series that has a lot of fun with that stuff. Such thoughts on the t- the again the 2015 sequence. That whole thing is gold. One of the things I love about that is it's very self-reflexive. In he goes to the cafe 80s, so it's not only it's not only what are our predictions, but you know how. You know, our predictions of how the future will see stuff that is quote-unquote retro. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's it's a very incisive bit of satire. 
I'm glad you brought that up, because it is them looking ahead and going, we know how this is going to go. And they're not wrong. Yeah. But it is hilarious also, um, in that self-reflexive form, to hear somebody talking about a dust jacket like it's, uh, like it's obsolete. <laughs> like, we still have those. And, and they knew that, too, you know? Yeah. We still have those, even in the age of ebooks. we still have books. I mean... We do, yeah. Oh, God, they did... How could they have predicted the ebook? My God. <laughs> I know. Again, that's always the fun of looking back at these movies. Really, the internet as we know it isn't referenced. No, it's really not. I mean, there is obviously... Uh, everything is obviously interconnected. They did get that right. Because, you know, there are fax machines all over the house. Um, oh, God. You know, there are yeah. so many channels, a lot of them that you can watch at once, and that is not far from the truth. No, it's not. Though the idea of fax machines all over the place, that's hysterical. <laughs> that's hilarious. And I think, again, they knew that. <laughs> um, and... Yeah, yeah, they knew going forward that this was only that this movie was only going to get more hilarious because of its dated. And I wish more and I wish more movies depicting the future would do that. Instead of trying to like plot, pretend that you can plausibly guess where trends are going to go. Yeah, every and also one other thing they did get right was everybody has their own little devices. Like they like every the phone rings and everyone looks at their things to see who it is and they all know who's calling because we'd all have our own line that's true yeah that's true yeah and this film also uses again multiple michael j foxes everywhere uh there are at least three in that's in that table scene and it's one where the camera moves around yeah yeah, there's a famous there's a famous story that between shooting that scene, like all the little parts, they used motion control, so everything on the set was nailed down, like was locked down in its place, and there was an earthquake between shooting that, so, but nothing uh, nothing moved. It was all fine. They were so worried. Yeah, because that would have been. Yeah, that would be... Ugh. But... Anyway, but yeah, that's... Especially the scene, yeah, in their home. That's a great sequence. No, it's, it's a very funny sequence. And, and it's it's one that the movie really... And the movie doesn't try to make the makeup ridiculous. It, it tries for plausibility rather than humor. But yeah. And of course you get to see Michael J. Fox play his daughter. Yeah. Which, honestly, as a kid, I didn't know. I thought they actually cast a real girl for that. Yeah, it's, 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 good, it's good makeup. They actually have very strong makeup in the film. I mean, it's not ridiculous. And, you know, I can't help but feel like, okay, yeah, there were obviously the places where they went wildly ridiculous for humor. But again, when it came time to the humans, they focused on core plausibility. Yeah, exactly. And that's why that's why when we think of the future, how many movies have thrown out a future? 
but this is the one that we still think of. Yeah, and it, it is heartbreaking. You know, you know, you have all the uh, fax machines over the house, which is funny, but at the same time, that is still a heartbreaking moment when you know he gets fired, and all of them spit out, "You're fired," and Jennifer takes it and. This is heavy. What am I going to tell Jennifer? And you can see genuine pain on Jennifer's face. Like, ah. Uh, <laughs> I feel so I feel so sorry for my future husband. <laughs> yeah. If you make a movie like this, no matter how great your idea is, no matter how great your concept is, you have to have characters that matter. You have to have human emotion. You have to have people that we care about because otherwise it doesn't work. Otherwise, all you've got's your concept and we don't give a damn. Yeah, that's ultimately what carries these forward and what will carry these, uh, carry these forward 30 years into the future and beyond. Maybe the exact methods and mechanisms don't matter, but having to worry about how you tell someone that you love that something bad has happened... That's an eternal emotion. It is. Realizing yeah. that your parents were once were once your age and had the same foibles and same problems you had. That's eternal. These are these are timeless movies fundamentally because they're about the things that don't change. Yeah, exactly. And you know, again, uh Back to the Future 3, you know, just that feeling of, you know, finding someone who shares your, um, you know, who shares your interests and who shares your passions and you're passionate about each other. You know, that's the eternal feeling. It is. <sighs> so good. Yeah. I'll take this opportunity to plug another podcast. My friend John Jay has... It's a uh, website called ACPN, the Adventure Club Podcast Network, uh, and he has an entire podcast dedicated to Back to the Future called the Flux Capacicast. But the point is, yeah, we could we could go on forever about this about these films. We could go on about the expanded universe material. I haven't read the IDW comics. I hear good on them. I've played the video games. I should narrow that down because there are a lot of Back to the Future video games. The Telltale video games. Yeah, the NES ones are not worth mentioning. No, I have the NES one and it's terrible. It's unrecognizable as a Back to the Future uh, anything. But yeah, no, the Telltale uh, episodic, there's, there's five of them and they are all wonderful. Um, pretty much the entire cast is back. Michael J. Fox does not play Marty, but he is, he does make an appearance. And the guy that does it sounds so dead on. Oh, oh no, you don't doubt for a second. Yeah. In fact, you're kind of amazed that you're not listening to Michael J. Fox. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's quality. Uh, I want to briefly shout out the novelizations, because... The first one, okay, the first novelization has gained bizarre infamy as supposedly being like this weird, like worse than the movie thing. 
I just want to kind of step back and point out the first novelization ain't that damn weird. I mean, it's okay. I think it's probably because the guy that wrote the novelization also wrote the Gremlins one, which does throw in a ton of backstory that was invented for the book. So I can, I guess the guy was figuring, well, he did it this one time. So I'm going to look for it this time. I'm not exactly as convinced as uh, some people seem to be that the first novelization is that weird. Um, I've read it. I don't think it's that strange. The, the novelizations aren't all that bad, actually. Um, the Again, I've talked about the cartoon series before. The cartoon series is wonderful. Dan Castellaneta replaces Christopher Lloyd and does a fine job. Uh, Lloyd shows up in wraparounds. It's fun. It's 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 a fun history science themed take on on it. I do wish more people would watch it. It's it's as such things go. It's pretty good. It's mostly focused on the Brown family. Marty's there, but he's not a major character. I, I'm I'm good with ha having it. And they just released the um, the thirtieth anniversary box set, which contains every episode of the cartoon. Take a look at them. It's not, they're not a bad extra. It's, it's, it's a good little show. I, I, I wish it got more credit. Um, I will say this. Let's not do any more movies though. Let's, let's, let's be good playing with this expanded universe stuff. Let's let it stay dead though. Oh yeah. I think, um, Robert Zemeckis and Bob Gale both have stated that they will pry the series from their cold, dead hands. Yeah. Um, not in those words, obviously, but... But yeah, they have stated time and time again, we have no interest in doing a fourth, we are not doing a fourth, as long as we have some say in the matter. And they do have say. That's why anytime you hear threats of a remake, Universal can't. Universal... Number one, Universal can't do it. Number two, they wouldn't do it. Guys, I just want to step back and vent, and this may be something that you wind up seeing on the film room lobby very soon. Anytime you all wring your hands about a remake, do you understand that remakes don't make very much money at all? Remakes, remakes fail more often than not. Um... That's why the upcoming Point Break remake is going to be long forgotten while the first one is still remembered. With limited exceptions, remakes don't matter. So that Universal doesn't have to spend a dime in production money uh, just putting out a good uh, 30th anniversary Blu-ray set. They don't have to spend a single penny doing that. It's cheaper for them to just keep re-releasing it. Which is fine. Yeah, Which is I've, fine. It's this, all they need to do. Yeah, I'm on my second edition of the of the uh, box trilogy. Um, I recently sold the DVD copies for a Blu-ray, which I kind of screwed myself because I should have waited for the 30th yeah. um, with the cartoons, but um, I can't turn back now because I've already had this one autographed. Yeah. But oh well. Oh well. That's okay. I just... We're not going to ever get it. Although it's funny, this might actually be one piece where if they actually did a good remake, you know, and did it from the perspective of a 2015 kid, 
going back and meeting his parents in the 80s, honestly, it might be an ideal choice. But you know what? I still don't want to see it. No. No. Because it will be... You'll compare it way too much. And yeah. it's... Better to rip it off, I say. And I think what they said was... Uh, about it was... Uh, Doc and Marty are very well-rounded characters by the, by the third film. One thing I do want to bring up before we kind of wrap this up is uh, something I didn't notice as a kid but I glaringly notice now is that for the sequels they introduced a character flaw in Marty in that he doesn't like being called chicken what's wrong McFly chicken <laughs> and that's it's kind of glaring that none of that is in the first film it is strange. It is very strange, yeah. But it's not... I mean, they play with it well. I yeah. mean, it's not overly used. Uh, it's a plot point in that that's what causes him to wreck his entire life. Mm -hmm. And him getting over that. You know, getting over not caring what other people think. Yeah, it's a nice, it's a nice thing at the end. It's very satisfying... When he doesn't hit the Rolls Royce. <laughs> it is. I just... I don't know. These are these are great movies. We're glad they're still around. And uh, all the endless uh, ink spilled on them this year. It was worth it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I loved the fact that um, there was a... Like... The entirety of pop culture celebrated... Uh, October 21st this year uh, everybody like every every product mention that's in the original film Toyota I think did the best one mm. of all of all people Pepsi eh <laughs> nah not so much yeah not U so much USA Today big time win oh yeah yeah the entirety of pop culture is celebrated this year and that day as Back to the Future Day. And I loved that. I loved everything about that. Well earned, guys. Well earned. Um, well earned. What's next? Let's see. I think next we have Silverado. Next next up? I guess in a way this is kind of a tie into the forthcoming uh, release of Star Wars The Force Awakens. Um... Because we're yeah, doing a movie true. directed by its co-writer, uh, Lawrence Kasdan. And we're doing another Western. Um, we, we haven't done any, now we're doing two in a year. So um, You haven't seen this one? Uh, I have loads of times. Uh, oh, it's so fun. We're just going to look at a good, solid, fun Western. Uh, for our next one so that's what 51 is and then oh boy do we have fun waiting for you at 52 he he oh yeah it, a postmodern western at that mm -hmm. uh, also made in 1985 interestingly yeah. enough 1985 wasn't a half bad year for movies uh, yeah that's pretty good so that's next that's that's what's coming so it's it's a it's a fun month 
until then, uh, let's let's begin. I want to thank our Patreons a little early this time because yeah, yeah, because they uh, they are responsible for us getting to this point this early. So, Sean, again, we didn't know. <laughs> yeah, we're sorry, dude. Um, we wouldn't have changed it though. Oh no, no. Uh, definitely get uh, looking forward to listening to your guys' take on it though. Yeah. Because we, we deliberately didn't listen until now. But, yeah. Sean from No Totally. Sheila. Daisy. Bridget. Nathan. Amanda. Oh, that's what her name is. That's what her name is. Yes, <laughs> of course. My sweet course. Amanda. Thank you guys so much for your support. We're... We're going to give you... Some, we're going to give you all a lot more to listen to and keep listening for some pay, uh, bonus casts. Uh, some of my rants that I want to go on are probably going to be showing up there as uh, rather than as uh, blog entries. Yeah. As little Patreon bonuses. I have a Patreon bonus coming up uh, shortly after Star Wars. Yeah, we, yeah we've got a big Patreon bonus uh, coming for y'all that... We really, we really do, guys. We, we're gonna really try and make the. If we won't, if we're gonna try and get to thirty, we're gonna try and give you guys some product worth hearing. So. Oh yeah, this is and this is again making up for, the fact that I haven't been able to get the early access out, uh, for the past few weeks. So but yeah, working so, on that. So let's get on. Let's get on these. Uh, let's get on the rest of it. Okay, you can you can find us on our blog at thefoamworm.podbean.com, the source of the cast. I do believe that Podbean now has both an Android and an iPhone app, so you can guess there as soon as we come out. It's on your mobile. It's right there. I know how pain, what a pain in the ass is to get things on your phone uh, from your computer. So, so yeah, you can. You can definitely do it that way. Uh, no more direct way. iTunes, we usually come out the Wednesday. Uh, like, yeah, we post on Tuesday. iTunes comes out Wednesday. If it were up to us, it would come out the same day, but iTunes doesn't work that way. So, yeah, you can find us there. And you can also find us on Facebook. Ooh, special mention. We just hit 500 likes. Yep. Thank you guys so much. And we continue to get the likes uh, trickling in. Uh, let me let me do a quick look-see to see exactly what we're up to. We've had, I guess, 20 this week. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, we're up to 504 likes. So, thank you guys. I know pages that struggle to get to that point. Uh, so, it's it warms my heart that you know y'all like our uh facebook so that's great yeah facebook.com slash the film room uh keep the likes coming let's see you can find us on our twitters we are at film room cast austin is at, uh, at untitled user i am at primitive man prd and the secret twitter is still floating out there uh-huh. uh a small rash of people have followed it recently, so people are discovering what it is. Yep, keep listening. <laughs> it's, 
Yeah, keep listening. Um, it won't stay secret forever, we swear. Yeah. And But, um, yeah, for now, secret Twitter. You can email us at filmroompodcast at gmail.com. Email us with anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll, we'll listen. We have ears, well, eyes to read, I guess. But yeah, we will listen. And of course, yeah, uh, patreon.com slash thefilmroom. Five dollars away, y'all, our own website. This blurb will be shorter. Yep. We will... We're working towards it, y'all. We will... We will get there soon. Also, thefilmroomlobby.wordpress.com Yep. So, we will... Here's to the next 50. Here's to the next 50 and beyond. We love you all. Yep, thanks. (laughs) Thank you. Calculations are correct. When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're gonna see some serious shit. Thank <laughs> you.